guys, welcome back to a new episode of Woman to Woman, the podcast where I sit down with different women from different industries to get to know who they are, how they got to where they are, and what they've been up to in their journey to womanhood. So today I am sat with Ebenita Yere, who is a youth practitioner. Therapeutic. Therapeutic youth practitioner, sorry, because a girl got a, um, she got a, a job upgrade since <laughs> I wrote this. Um, <laughs> she's a therapeutic youth practitioner and a founder of Milk and Honey. So hi. Hi. It's taken us a while to get through this introduction, but we got there in the end. <laughs> we did. <laughs> How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. How thank are you? Thank you for coming. I'm okay. I haven't eaten today, but we thank God. I'm alive. Thank you so much for joining me on this conversation. Um, how I start each of my conversations is I ask women a specific question and then we're going to get into the meat okay. of why we're here. Okay. Um, so my first question for you, first of all, is um, what does womanhood mean to you? Womanhood to me is embracing my girlhood mm. and realising that the girl within would not be who she became without her. So being a girl is just as being, is just as important to me as being a woman. Wow. I think womanhood encompasses everything that I didn't have when I was younger. Mm. It takes into consideration the person that I've become is who I needed. Mm. And so womanhood is a becoming, but it's also an elevation of the creativity that I possess that I was told that I didn't. Mm. Um, Alice Walker has this quote about feminism. Womanism is to feminism as I think lavender is to the color purple. I think she said lavender. I believe somebody's gonna quote me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but um, even I, that quote is powerful. <laughs> I kind of think about it a lot when I think about womanhood. I mm. think to me, woman womanhood is what girlhood is not elevated enough yeah. when we talk about womanhood so. yeah definitely yeah. i've that's one of the most profound answers i've had thank yeah. you not to say everybody else's answers weren't <laughs> amazing but this one's profound because what does girlhood mean to you especially because you work in a space where you guard young women and we're going to get into milk and honey but you work in a space where you kind of work with girls i i, I think the most important part of their journey so for you what does girlhood signify oh to me girlhood signifies first of all recognizing that i am black mm. so it's not just girlhood it is black girlhood mm. and black girlhood to me signifies everything that i was told and that society tells black girls that they can't and shouldn't be Black girlhood is the liberation of the women that they are going to become and that we are also on journeys to become. But I think black girlhood to me is such a powerful thing because there's such an erasure of it. Mm. Like we literally do not have any recognition of our girlhood because it was literally taken away from us. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we had a conversation on the phone and you said, um, we've all been black girls, so our existence has been shaped by society's preconceived ideas of what being a black girl and a black woman means. Yeah. And I think that's so important because from young, 
if you a 11 year old girl black girl will be treated differently yes. to an 11 year old white girl yes so even in your work like do you see the importance of that representation and how black girls are treated yeah i see i see it a lot and it's yeah. taken me a journey to be able to explicitly see it and when mm. i say that not just the professional journey because i could sit here and talk about that all day yeah but i think a personal journey and a recognition of I originally did not even want to work with girls. Mm. But when I started to really do some internal work and look at who, who was Ebby as a girl? Yeah. Because Ebonita's a woman. But, you know, my name's nine letters long. During mm. primary school, it was shortened for the purpose of white teachers mm. um, who still struggled <laughs> with Ebby. But when I think about my girlhood and growing up, to everybody else, I was a struggle. Yeah. So why wouldn't they struggle to pronounce my name if they viewed my behavior as a struggle? Mm. And so what I see with black girls now is we don't even have to shorten their names anymore. We just see them as a struggle. Mm. And so because I've worked on myself and kind of still on a journey of healing and growing, but understanding that child, who was she when she navigated South London? Now when I'm working with these girls and they say, this happened to me or my teacher said this or I wasn't able to feel comfortable here. Yeah. I explicitly can feel it and yeah. hear it from them. Yeah. But they're treated so different that, again, we don't do enough to speak about it because mm-hmm. it's not explicit as our black male counterparts. Yeah. And I think that's where my journey took a turn where as well as working with black boys, because that's what I originally started doing. Yeah. When I started to see myself, I started to say I need to do more for the girls. Mm. So this is gonna be a good conversation. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, wow, that's no, no, no. Bear gems in that man. Do you know it's because I've never looked because, and one thing that stuck out to me, wow, was when you said that we don't even need to. They don't even need to shorten my name. They don't even need to struggle with my name. They look at me, mm. and I already represent struggle Mm. but then in that as well do you feel like that's where the preconceived notions of black women being strong and being resilient comes from because we've had to override all of that from our girlhood to our womanhood it's a navigation of survival Mm. do you understand what i mean like you grow up in an environment that tells you without even using words that you are a angry, aggressive, you possess this kind of enforcing demeanor that when you go into your home, you can't even be soft and gentle because who is representing that? Because our moms are reenacting the survival tactic of strength. Mm. And so when we grow into women and somebody calls us strong, as a form of survival, as a form of heritage, as a form of rooted in deep transgenerational trauma, but Mm. also survival of strength and positivity. Because even though that term strong black woman has its negatives, it possesses so many positives, but that's all rooted within girlhood. And when you're trying to survive, what you have to do sometimes is um, eliminate and forget mm. and that's where the blurred lines of womanhood especially in the uk for me yeah have taken a turn for the worst because yeah. 
when we look at black womanhood, we look at striving, amazing, beautiful black women who are deemed as strong, but we see your vulnerabilities because I have them too. But we've all had to forget who we were as girls to get to a position of womanhood because guaranteed if i said to anybody today who is leading in their element if you took your inner child into your sector would she be able to breathe would she be able to thrive and i know people listening are probably thinking of themselves in the back of the classroom top button undone slicked hair just do it bag girls i know you hear that you've come to shout (laughs) and i'm because why am i (laughs) You're going to surrender me to tears? or <laughs> nostalgia, exactly. But you couldn't take that girl into your working environment because as an act of survival, you've had to forget her. And that, for me, is the most difficult part of my life hmm. because we see... <laughs> a prime example is this, men. When men get to a certain position, they give back to their communities and they go back to where they started. And I'm not saying women don't do that, but as you look at philanthropy, you see that women start to invest from a distance Mm. because we have to survive and forget where we're coming from in order to, again, survive and thrive because we have this ability like, oh, you're strong, you know, you'll get over it. But no, this is some deep, rooted stuff yeah. that I went through yeah. and who's looking at it. And yeah. that's, again, where I now look at these girls that we are raising in our society and we're raising them well. They are, you know, amazing. But mm. when we think of topics, we don't ask them. As women, we spend, especially women, I would say 25 to about 35 this this generation of when we look at the younger girls, we talk for them, we don't yeah. talk with them. Nobody asks them. When we look at Twitter conversations, and I would be looking at the conversations like, okay, interesting. But what I'm doing is, after everybody's spoken on their behalf, I will go and ask them, mm. what do you think of this? Mm. And sometimes it adds up, and sometimes it's completely different. We're literally talking for black girls and not, talking to them and that is damaging but these girls are strong (laughs) and they're strong because they are the generation of it's all about what you look like on the outside and not about how you feel so what are we doing we're basically reconstructing that survival mode for black girls that you have to look and put on this armor yeah for them to be able to thrive and i'm saying no we need to look internally mm. before you can even go out there and do what you need to do because healing is a journey and it's a process. But if we don't start investing and embedding it now in our girls, and that's our children full stop. Yeah. But for our black girls, they're going to grow up to be future mums. Yeah. And if we have black women CEOs now, and I'm shouting out every single one, because like I said, we are killing it. Yeah. But what's the generation after going to look like and how much are they going to have to work 10 times as hard to kill it mm. kind of thing so boy you've come to shout thank you so much because that was so profound thank like you i had to me. internally like be like she talking to me he's shouting on me girl um so no thank you so much and the reason why you speak so passionately like i said um ebonita is a founder of milk and honey um, so could you take people kind of into like a breakdown of 
what is milk and honey and why you started it because i think it ties in well with the passion you have mm. for the young girls that you work with and for the beginning portion of this conversation <laughs> that we've had you've been having so, so to you. milk and honey is my baby milk <laughs> and honey was created with and for girls and has explicitly become for black girls. Mm. And I have to say that because originally it wasn't tailored for black girls. Mm. I've worked with many white girls. I've met, worked with many brown girls. But as I started to develop the work and develop myself, I started to see that the majority of girls that were getting referred to me or that were even self-referring were black. And was it a representation thing? Was it a lack of safe space for them? I don't know what it was at the time, but now I'm here, I'm starting to see that it's an element and mixing of a lot of different things. Yeah. So what it is, it is a black girl led expressive safe space that allows girls to flourish and put her first and her is healing, empowerment and resilience. And it's called Milk and Honey because I read Rupi Kerr's Milk and Honey book mm -hmm. and the book was shouting, <laughs> the book was very loud. And <laughs> at the time um, I was working with a very special young lady who, who kind of started my journey of being able to look in the mirror and say, yeah, who mm. you're trying to run away from, she's right here basically. Mm. Um, and together we kind of, through working together and her shouting at me, we kind of <laughs> developed this project um, with the support system of Juvenis and my mentor, Jenny, it's become a safe space for the girls to use creative expression to express how they feel, lead in a world that sometimes doesn't allow them to lead, mm. allow them to play, like I said, using creativity, but just even going to the theater together, that journey to the theater, you know, watching these girls take selfies, kind of allowing them to grow in a world that says you're gonna have to grow up and be strong. Mm. Whereas I'm saying, before you get to that place, come into this space, create your own tables within this space and develop, grow, put her first mm. and thrive, really? <laughs> that's, that's milk and honey. Um, again, started because my work as a youth practitioner started, again, because I come from a community that you know, was not the greatest mm -hmm. in terms of opportunities. But one thing I have to say, when we talk about these com communities in terms of opportunities, we rarely talk about the positives. Mm -hmm. My community made me who I am. And I appreciate everything that I went through. I'm some, I left home at 15, so I've been living alone for a long time, yes. So I have, I've literally lived alone. I'm not even going to do the maths because that would disclose my age. Yeah. But I've, I've worked my way around the system. Yeah. And a lot of people are always shocked when they see me and they hear that I'm coming from that because yeah. they're like, how? And I say, that's the problem. When we talk about the community, we talk about it in such a negative way. Yeah. Or not even we. Because when I say we, we talk about our community like it is the best. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. talk about our community like it's so negative, mm -hmm. but it's breeded amazing people. And just because people like myself may not be in the media or doing things that are very front facing, mm -hmm. we still exist. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to kind of think about how 
how am I going to be the person that I didn't have mm. and more? I, you know, just basically, <laughs> I didn't literally wake up one morning and say, okay, I'm going to do this. But it took a lot of learning. It took a lot of giving back to myself and giving back yeah. to the community. Yeah. Um, I graduated in 2016. So I have a degree in criminology. Come on. Um, <laughs> please. <laughs> um, and then I started working as a youth worker in the community. And I loved it. I love everything about it. In fact, without those kids in my early days, I wouldn't have passed my exams because I would take my criminology questions onto the estate yeah. and start asking them, what yeah. do they think? But the more I worked with these children on the estates and I did community work and I was very present, like those that know my early stages <laughs> of this work know I was really out there for these children. And I'm glad that I was. Yeah. But I also realized that there's only so much that youth work does. Yeah. And how youth work doesn't also get the recognition that it deserves. Definitely. And when we think of the fact that if I'm black and I'm working with black children, that's a whole load of black emotion. Mm. And where's that going? Because mm. these children weren't going to see your average Sally the therapist. They didn't want to see her mm. or him, to be frank. They always would tell me, oh, we want to talk to you. Like, you get us, you understand us. And I didn't just want to be someone who just was understanding without understanding how to give back. Yeah, yeah. So I went on this whole other journey of doing a therapeutic well-being course. And I tell you, I was the only black person, the only black woman, and the only black me that worked with black children. Mm. So that space was a whole nother journey in yeah. terms of <laughs> being within a therapeutic space that's supposed to hold me for me to go and hold other children. And I went through it, I'm glad. Mm -hmm. And that's where the therapeutic element of youth practitioning came into it because youth workers open so many wounds by being first respondents to young people. Yeah. Nobody knows then how to close each other's wounds back. Yeah. And I didn't want to replicate that cycle. Yeah. And my manager is absolutely supportive and invested in me to do the course. And now I apply it to all my work with young people, mm -hmm. not just Milk and Honey. But in terms of Milk and Honey, why it's so powerful is because it's offering therapeutic support to black girls without labeling it as therapeutic support for black girls using creative expression. And that's the problem in our systems that black girls' expressions are not understood. Yeah. She'll kiss her teeth, she'll roll her eyes. She might, you know, raise her voice. And that negative expression is held on to and follows her. But her inner cry or even if she's crying or even something like a period pain, you know, we've all been there in school where you're like, oh, got period pains. And you're told, oh, you have to move around. But Angela gets sent to the nurse, the nurse. with, um, you know, herbal tea or Kirsty gets like the hot water bottle. But you're yeah. there told to do laps on the field because apparently movement makes your period feel better. So, and that's for every black girl, like the system and education especially looks at every black girl like they're the same. And that's not yeah, true. Yeah, We've got a lot to debunk, by the way. Because <laughs> we've got a lot to debunk. I have a couple of questions. Um, firstly, and I know we spoke about your girlhood and stuff. If you are comfortable in answering this, but how did leaving for 
home at 15. I just wanted to know, how did that shape you? Like, what's one thing you could say created the Ebonita that I'm looking at today? How was that shaped for you? Pain. Mm. A lot of pain. Pain that I some I lead, relive every day. Yeah. Some I don't like talking about. Yeah, of course. Um, but pain, like pain really, really shaped me mm-hmm. into who I am today. And I don't like, you know, kind of using my pain as a way to preach to others because everybody's pain is so different yep. and everybody feels it different. I don't like leading with my pain, yes. so I don't wear it. Do you know, and that's so interesting because I feel like, and I've had this conversation with my boyfriend a lot, where I feel like a lot of people have branded their pain as their business identity, mm-hmm. where it's like, I've been raped, now I'm using that as a brand strategy for everything that I do, and everybody leads with their pain. Mm. So it's so interesting that you say you don't lead with your pain. Why is that, and why did you not, why is that not if that makes sense. Yeah, no, yeah. I get it. And this doesn't take away from anybody that of does. Of course not, yeah. Because like healing is very different. But I think it goes back to what I said about girlhood. If I led with my pain, I would be that black girl statistic. Yeah. I feel like if I led with my pain, none of you would see my womanhood. Mm. You'd also, you'd all just see me as that black girl from the ends. And that's not who I am. Unless I say that, you know, I left home at 15 or I grew up here. No one's going to know this because I don't lead with it. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean it's not there. It's always in me. And why I say I relive it is because not only am I living it every time I go home to an empty house, for example, but I am reliving it through the young people that I work with. And that's why it's so important. When I say I don't want to do anything or I want to sleep or eat or I just want to be me without disclosing my age yeah. i just don't want to i i don't want to be professional me i just yeah. want to be me with my boundaries and my integrity i am mm-hmm. and no one can tell me otherwise mm-hmm. because for so many years of my life authority dictated it mm-hmm. and so my view of authority was they speak you jump mm-hmm. no life doesn't work like that ebonita doesn't work like that mm-hmm. ebby may have but ebonita's like if you speak, I'm going to calculate everything you're saying. And if yeah. I want to, then I will do. Mm. But I also think because my pain should never have been my pain. And that may sound selfish, but I was 15. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, without even going into too much. Yeah. But that stuff now, if I was working with me, that social worker would have been dragged through the mud. Mm. That local authority would not be able to do the things that I went through to these children now, especially if me alongside the great workers that I know all over London, even as far as Birmingham, to be fair, that would not run. I was a child. And it goes back to this bias and adultification that the system sees black girls as stronger because... At 15, you know, I had attitude, I, but I didn't know anything. I was a child. And again, you said about um, our expression is misunderstood mm-hmm. as well. So your pain was probably mis. Yeah, it was very misunderstood. To- it was always anger. And I guess when I look back, I think as angry as I could be now, I'm very thankful. And it sounds yeah. so weird. Mm. 
But the experiences that I've had, the ones that I've spoken about, the ones that I'll probably never speak about, yeah. the ones that my children in the future will learn from, <clears throat> the ones that my parents will never know <laughs> <learn> about. <laughs> As in, ever. Sorry, Dad. Um, I'm taking that to the grave, honey. <laughs> Those, all of that has made my journey worthwhile. Yeah. And there are down days. There, I tell you, there are days where not only do I question my womanhood, but I even question my girlhood. Mm -hmm. There are days where I literally have to say, God, please, today, just, just, just give me a sign. Yeah. Just please. Yeah. I still, you know, I still get those days, but I know where I'm coming from. Yeah. I know who that girl was. She still really does exist. Yeah. But I know who I'm trying to become as a woman and mm -hmm. my pain is, is healing. And it's healing through me putting myself first. I, I sometimes see where, especially with women, our platforms or our businesses can be the, what we lean on to be happy. And I think, shout it. <laughs> that's how Milk and Honey started for me. Yeah. This is how me it started. Too. It was like, oh yeah, like I'm doing this. Mm. Coming from, I don't want to do this to now I'm doing this. Yeah, this is giving me so much happiness. But then I started to realize, is it really giving me happiness or am I already happy? Mm -hmm. Or am I still learning what happiness is? If milk and honey was the only thing making me happy, I would not be able to have the influence that I do yeah. on these children. Yeah. But also mainly, they would not be able to influence me. Mm -hmm. They would not be able to be who they are through my journey, through my professional and personal journey yeah. because I would be kind of leaning on them. And yeah. I think where I've learned to lean on myself of course through living alone but mm. just through life situations and loss mm. i think we don't talk about that in the black community enough we don't talk about loss um we don't talk about mental health and how yeah. loss really really does cause severe symptoms around mental health that we're not speaking about and it could be something as major as the fact that you lost your family home yeah. at 15 or something small like I lost my phone. We don't Honestly. take time to process loss. And as women, when we think about loss, we think about we just need to get over it. Mm. And it's never really a getting over process. Mm. And that's kind of what I'm trying to teach the girls, that you can lose so many different things. People can bring you down. You can get to a position where you're told you will never be. But as far as you feel it, that fire in you, like, I can and I will. Mm -hmm. You're smiling, you're laughing. I I look at some of my teachers today and they probably hear my voice, see me on TV and think, damn, I used to send her out of class a lot. <laughs> and I also drive past my old secondary school when I'm in Brixton walking, I'm thinking, wow, this bus stop, I really know what you to happen here, man. I get a sense of, wow, you know? Yeah. 15-year-old Ebby who was standing here is not, without disclosing my age, <laughs> without the Ebby, that Ebenita that is standing here now yeah. kind of thing. So I, it's just been about processing my losses mm. and counting my wins. Yeah. And that's that's literally it. Definitely. Sure. You're doing amazing work. I'm not even joking. I think, and why I resonate with what you're doing so much is because I it reflects so much why I started Woman to Woman. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important to give girls and women a safe space. So I started 
um, at uni mm. and I would do like weekly get togethers with girls from first and second years. Cause like you, a lot of my lessons were self-taught. Mm. A lot of the things that I went through, I had to learn the lessons myself because although mommy was there, mommy didn't understand because like you said, they were on survival mode. It was yeah. kind of, I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to create a space for you to live in that I, maybe unintentionally, mm-hmm. but emotionally she didn't have time. And that's, that's literally what it was like for me, where it was like, you know, recently I had this conversation with my mom. She said something like, oh, these teachers. And I said, hey, <laughs> how dare you? She said, what did I do? I said, look at you wanting to get at the teacher. But when it was me, you was always on their side. She yeah. said, hey, don't even start. Mm. You do not know what it felt like to have teachers constantly telling me that you were bad. If I didn't side with them, I didn't know what they would have done with you. And I said, wow. Mm. I'm speechless. Yeah. That's a Nigerian mom yeah. say, literally saying, out of fear, she sided with teachers. And I know a lot of people will resonate with the lack of emotion that they probably were shown as a child yeah. or as a young person. But, you know, like you were saying, it's that survival that, yeah. that it, And I guess as girls, we're told, you know, stay away from boys, get in the kitchen, don't let guys do this. It's always about guys, 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 mm. guys, guys. It's never about... Me, <laughs> you know? me as Lorianne and what I'm going yeah, through, what you know, am I going through? external to, to men and my role as a woman yeah. in society. What am I going through? Yeah. It's never explored. It's never talked about. It's never, yeah, man. That <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> It's never the first point of like importance. Yes. When we speak of like young girls and that's scary. Because we internalize that. And then in life, we put everybody else at like a pedestal before ourselves. Yes. Because we take backstage and everything else takes center stage. Career. Yes. Marriage. Children. Yes. Yes. So those internalized small things, they actually pile up. Yes, they do. What's this? What's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's so important. And I think that's why it's what you're doing is is necessary because it's at a cri- critical age. Mm. Yeah, I, I I never really looked at how important that is. But it's so important. Nor did I. Like, nor did I. This is a... It's still new for me, but mm. I'm growing with them. Yeah. Literally with and for them. Also, I wanted to ask a question just popped in my head. Because we grew up in a different mm. era, um, our, black girls ex- our black girl experience was very much different. We didn't have social media no. as much. We didn't have the fear of not achieving. But I, I feel like there's girls at 15 thinking I haven't done enough. I need yes, to do more. Yes. You know? Yes. We didn't have that constant feeling of comparing ourselves to other girls. Mm. And do you know what I mean? So what does that look like to you now working with girls in this 2020 era? This new age oh. of growth for kids. Okay. Um, that differs to us. Let's take it step by step. Yeah. We before we talk about social media, let's talk about fashion. Mm. Let's talk about hair and beauty standards. Yes. We grew. We was the generation of expression. Mm. We were the generation of Dax. We were the Pink. generation of Vaseline. Yes. And the one night in our lip gloss, the cherry one that you roll. <laughs> that was our generation, and we even 
got cussed for all of yeah. that. We were the generation of 199 tracks. Don't act like no one bought it. You know, the color, the one piece of color. Yes. Yeah. We was the generation of shubs. Huh. Everybody wear your match to match. Match to match. <laughs> to match. Pink and white. Yes. And that is it. From top to bottom. Literally. We was a very colorful generation. Yes. Beauty standard wise. Yes. But it was cheap and cheerful. Yeah. There was joy in what we're doing. Yes. It was child friendly yeah to an extent don't get me wrong there was still the adultification you know there was still the if we think about what destiny's child survivor was wearing mm. there was still you know everybody wanted to dress like they was in bootylicious yeah we had tops that said bootylicious on them yeah. growing up but there was still an element of you looked and youthful, acted yeah. and dressed like a youthful child. child if we compared the girls now which i don't really like doing because it's not really about comparing them. I know, yeah. But if we look at what the pressures of clothing is, you know, who was I when I was younger to carry mm. my mom's card and do online shopping? <laughs> Did I know what online shopping was? Exactly. How you, could I? You know, it was throw it in the basket. Maybe if mommy's not looking and then when you get to the till, the embarrassment. <laughs> I need it, please. <laughs> exactly. It was going to your mom and saying, everybody has a JD bag. Can I just have Thank one? Thank you. Thank you. But now, fast fashion, society has developed into everything is so fast that our yeah. girls feel like they need it now. So when we see what they're wearing and we see what their influences are, we should not blame them. Yeah. Because they've literally been laid. It's been laid upon them. It's like, you must look like this. Yeah. Because if we look at, you know, we look at what the shops are selling. It's not like the shops are selling things that they, that are appropriate for them to wear. Because mm. even I struggle when I'm looking on these websites and I want something to wear. I'm, I'm like, like, where do I put my, my should my boobies <laughs> just be flying? <laughs> exactly. You want to see all of my back like, and my booty? At, at the same time, not even in <laughs> Not even literally in doses. Like, you're literally selling me a piece of string with 20% student discount added. <laughs> what are you expecting? Like, at the same time. <laughs> what are you expecting? And then you're saying, I'm going to slap 15% on, yeah. on top for being a new customer, yeah. first-time buyer. So, yeah, it's difficult. But those beauty standards have also, also like, created an influx in how insecure yeah. our young girls have become yeah. because they feel like they need to look and f look and feel a certain way on mm. the outside from their hair you know natural hair has become so beautiful now to be able to be proud of but also the influx of when we said no more relaxer there was an also an influx of weave mm. Like we said, no more creamy crack, but we're going to bring in frontals and closures. And again, yeah. there's nothing wrong with them. But I see conversations about should girls at 15 wear wigs? What else? If nobody else is showing them that braids and cane rolls are in, what else? And yeah. okay, yes, now everybody's doing braids and cane rolls, but is it enough? Well, let's not even get into how much the charging of these things have become, but we'll get there. <laughs> We then take it down to social media. We grew up on Bebo. Yeah. You give one love for yeah. the day. You tell somebody I love you, that's it. Now you scroll through social media and literally share love. Love, yeah, love, love. Yeah, and yeah, again, when yeah, you think yeah. of beauty standards, fashion, hair, 
And social media, you have to look your best. When we got Instagram, everybody was still pick stitching. <laughs> oh, your girl of my generation. Everybody was still pick stitching. We were still posing where you kind of tilt your leg to yeah. one side. <laughs> everybody, and it was always that, like, the pictures didn't have to be airbrushed. It was kind of like that fuzzy, grainy, <laughs> the fuzzy, grainy effect. Oi, you know what I'm talking this about? This is nostalgia. And then, I, actually, <laughs> I, I have archived pictures that look like that. And then the worst one is that you have a mirror reflection. So you'll do the left and the right. <laughs> <laughs> so all of these things are like, that's how it started. Yeah. But now you can't do that. You have to be, your background has to be a certain way. What you're wearing, a certain way. Photo quality, a certain oh, way. Yeah. So the fact that capitalism and our consumerism has mm. even bought into what social media offers. When iPhone yeah. is advertising, they said not one camera, not two, but three. Three and complete quality. Like This is it. Like <laughs> So we have to look at that, what, what they're taking in in social media is a lot and there was no manual for them but then the strive you said that you know 15 year olds are growing up where they're like they're not doing enough working with these girls their determination Hmm. is beautiful but it's also heartbreaking yes when a 15 year old girl tells me she wants to start a business i'm so excited i'm so happy i'm really here to support but a part of me also wants to say to her Baby girl, you're a child. But she's like, well, if I don't start now, I won't get to this place. And this place is a place of luxury. So what we've kind of taught our black girls is that to get to luxury, not only do you have to start young, you have to forget your girlhood, you have to strive like a woman, and you have to do things that are going to basically get you to that place. And I'm not saying that all of that is wrong, but there's an element of we're taking away that youthfulness. Yeah. And then there's an element of when we're influencing our girls, what are we really influencing them to do? Because I work with about four girls that all sell eyelashes. And they have bigger dreams than that. And I but think that's, that's a conversation as well that's pinpointed <laughs> for us to kind of have like, where are black girls positioned within different industries and mm. within different professions? Because... We don't all belong in the beauty industry. No, and I think that's the scary thing about this generation, that they're growing up where fashion and beauty are leading and it's killing it. Like, look, we've got black girls that their designs are being worn by Kylie Jenner. So I'm not knocking it. I'm all for it. Mm. But what else can we do to show that black girls can exist in those spaces that are not beauty standards? And how can they create their spaces out of those? Yeah. So if you look at like the Bola Souls and finance, mm. how can we have more black girls getting into that? Oh, I'm, I want to see oh, black yeah. girls where we've got black girls leading a revolution in every single mm. industry, whereas it's the creative industry, finance, mechanics, art. F- I'm talking fine art mm. at that. I want to see it all. And I sometimes have fears that where we're not elevating these professions and they're not celebrated enough. And this is where the creative industry can really play a part. Yeah. The creative industry needs to start celebrating black women in other industries that are not just in line with the creative industry, because that saying you 
like you be what you can see basically yeah. well we need to start showing girls that there's other profession and there's other black women that are leading in these roles and i also feel like there's a conversation as black women that we need to have around makeup and the armor of makeup when we put on our makeup when we put on our wigs when we are not in our natural state what is that armor what like who are we blocking out and a lot of women will say oh no i do it for myself and i'm not saying that we don't but who are we without that armor mm. and if when you put on your makeup and your eyelashes and your hair and your ton ton if you're not the same person without that you still need to do some work mm. on yourself mm. and if you are doing that work how can you now do that work to elevate yourself so that somebody else will see you and be like, that's a representation of um, me yeah. with or without the makeup. Yeah. But that doesn't also say that as black women, we need to be in a place of struggle and pain and deprivation. Yeah. I'm here for black women living luxury lifestyles, but I'm also here for black women guiding black girls into knowing that to live a luxury lifestyle, it doesn't just come with, you have to overwork and grind mm. and take your girlhood away. Honestly. Honestly. Basically. You hit the nail on the head so well. <laughs> so, so, so well. And I think that's, we still need to debunk that. Um, but I wanted to go back to something that you said, because you said a lot. <laughs> you said a lot. But one thing I wanted to go back, because you, you said something about, um, uh, when we were growing up, we were expressive, but cheap and cheerful. We could, mm. we could play, we could, we could play, we could be silly, mm -hmm. we could come into school with our hair looking like mm. something different. We could, do you know what I mean? There was still that childlessness mm. to us. And with the platform that you've created and the safe space that you've um, you've created, it is explicitly says expressive, safe space. So for you, what was the importance in, in bringing that into what you created for these girls that you, you help? Um, I think a variety of different things. One of the things was that I know that talking therapy is very yes. Eurocentric. Yeah. I know that if a child has been in school all day or been in a place that they didn't want to be in and someone's talking at them, they're not going to want to be there even more. So I wanted to create a space that young girls wanted to be in even if at first, because they never really want to be there. Yeah. Like girls, if you're listening, I know... <laughs> I've been in the space with you. They never want to be there. On the yeah. first day, they're thinking, what the hell is this? After the first two sessions, they start turning up half an hour early. Yeah. And that's literally where the process begins, where they're like, eh. Then it's like, eh. Mm. Then it's like, do you know what? I'm mm. giving this a go and I'm going to give it my all. Yeah. I think it was important also because I know that within education or the community and in the home, like we said earlier, our expressions, our emotions are not a thing. Mm. They're not as important as, let's be real, our males in our yeah. homes, in our community. Yeah. And so having Milk and Honey as an expressive space was basically the unique selling point where I was saying to girls, however you want to express, it is welcome here. Yeah. Um, using creativity to kind of talk about different things was also a way to kind of eradicate the element of I'm shy I don't mm -hmm. want to talk because mm -hmm. if you don't want to talk you can draw if you don't want to draw you can sing you can mm -hmm. rap you can do photography we've done so many kind of different kind of 
elements of creativity as an expression yeah. that always still comes back to talking because yeah. we do this thing called healing circles where we literally sit in a circle and do wordplay, talk about poetry. So we are still using some form of talking and embedding the like element of being able to express yourself via talking, mm. but having a, a choice. And black girls don't normally have a choice. Yeah. So I was giving them a choice to say, not only can you express here, that's one choice, but you can do it the way you want to. Yeah. And first and foremost, you're putting her first, which yeah. is your healing, your empowerment, and your resilience. Yeah. All these things that they already possess. My job and my passion is just to support them to elevate it to a point where they start to see it more than they already mm, have. Mm, mm, mm. How how have you found like um, these uh, the girls respond to what you've created? Because you said at first they're like, um, yeah, have you? that was. I would say the girls have responded in a way that I never could have imagined. Yeah. In a way that everybody goes somewhere at first, especially when your school has told you that, you know, I'm sending you here. It's literally like being told you have to go here because mm. you're a problem here and this place is going to fix you. Mm. So when you're saying that to a child, of course they're not going to want to be there. Mm. But when I talk to education providers or adults let's just say adults about the young girls that they're sending to milk and honey it's always different from the girl that i get yeah and that's the best part because i start to see her for who she is and not who somebody else has said she is and so even though there's that reluctancy that reluctancy is a form of fear Mm. that protection that she wears when she comes into the space because you're probably going to look at me with the same lens this is it everybody else has branded me as and once they start to see I could have a group of 10 and I know each of those girls for the individual that she is. Yeah. And that's the important part that even though we're doing group work, the element of, I get to know each girl. So my last cohort, I had girls who liked a chair a certain way. So I'd always position the chair a certain Mm. way. I had another girl who liked a certain kind of pen, always making sure that pen was there. I've worked with a girl that always wanted to sit on my right hand side. So always making sure that she could be on the right-hand side of me. And that was just embracing their individuality in order to let them know, I see you, I hear you, I feel you. And even though we're in a group, I'm not dictating who you are because of the group. I'm still Mm. seeing your individuality. Mm. And I think the main thing is they know that they can express to me because I have people to go and express to. Yeah. So they know that I'm looked after so I can look after them. And I think that's also not spoken about enough. The support systems that professionals like myself have to have in order to be able to do what I do. So I go to therapy. I have a very supportive like manager. I have a community mentor and a work mentor and also a support system that's family, God. And like I said, when I don't want to do something, I ain't doing it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah because um, we did speak about that that's something that we spoke about when we were on the phone and i said to you like how the work that you do is emotionally mm. taxing it is it's amazing <laughs> but it does but it is emotionally taxing to have to have and i remember because when i used to run have girls come to me all the time there were times where i'm like god mm-hmm. i am pouring out and no one's and no me. one's pouring mm. in and you and I said it that to you, like, you cannot pour from mm, an empty cup. cup. Nope. What are you going to give, give these kids? So for you, like, 
how how are you doing it? How <laughs> how does that look? Especially for someone that wants to get into the work that you are into, mm. the reality that it looks like. I think people think, oh, because I remember I wanted to work with kids until I done woman to woman, <laughs> and I saw what it looked like to work mm. with g- hurting girls and pouring into them and what that would do for me. Mm. So I think it's important to have the conversation of what the reality of your work and how do you deal with days where it's like, God, I have nothing to pour mm. from. Um, what do you do? What do you advise? I, yeah. I think being, it's difficult, but I always hold on to three things. Being emotionally available does not mean that you always have to be present. Mm. It first starts on the availability that you have to give yourself in order to be able to give anybody else. And if I don't feel like I am a full enough cup to be able to pour into somebody else, I cannot literally, and I feel mine physically, my body literally starts to ache and say to me, if you keep going, Mm -hmm. you're going to collapse. And so being able to be in tune with myself, and this didn't happen overnight. Yeah. It's also the next thing, integrity and honesty. Yeah. And the more I started to be honest with myself, because we all have this thing about, I want to save the world. I want to save my community. I want to save my sector. I want to create change. And that's absolutely amazing. But the revolutionaries themselves that even started revolutionizing, Mm -hmm. they rested. God himself rested. He said, I need a nap. (laughs) <laughs> he said and on the seventh day we rest yeah. so being able to be honest with myself that you know you have to rest you have to process this but also accessing spaces that again were uncomfortable for myself so yeah. accessing personal therapy mm-hmm. so i have to have personal therapy as part of my course and my journey into doing further therapeutic work but for the fact that, do you know what? I need it. Yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say that I don't need it. And I need it to process the pain that I felt as a girl, mm. which I am doing. But I also need it to process and protect myself from mm. the pain that I will feel as a woman. And that's where the boundaries come in with my work. Um, I'm not going to say that I don't send emails at stupid o'clock. Mm-hmm. But shout out to Google for the schedule send <laughs> everybody's gonna be like why is she shouting why is she doing this so you know but being honest with myself boundaries is the main important thing yeah it goes back to my work team it's absolutely amazing like without the support system that i have as my team like i don't just represent myself milk and honey I may be the founder, but without the girls, without Winston, without Jenny, without the Whitney's, then this is me just shouting at the people in my yeah, life yeah, yeah. professionally who have really supported me and guided me. And guidance isn't just praise because I'm not perfect. Guidance is also, do you know what, Ebby? You did wrong. And being able to sit with it. Hmm. And sometimes the girl in me because of the projection of authority, wants to literally lift up the room and roar and scream. But the woman that I've become while holding my girlhood central to who I am understands that this guidance is not just an authoritative figure trying to tell you, they're guiding you because they want the best for you. Yeah. Because you don't know it all. Yeah. Because 
in order for me to support others, I need to feel supported. Yeah. And I guess my family, like, people always think, oh, you left home, you must have a bad relationship with your family. No. <laughs> they are absolutely my everything, my, yeah. my world. And without the experiences that we had as a family, we wouldn't have grown and become mm. who we are today. Mm. But my family are like my go-to. When I'm with my family or I speak to my family, I'm kind of safe. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm safe enough to know that, yeah, work was tough today, but tomorrow is a new day. Yeah. And I guess my family is bigger than just like my immediate family. My friends come into that. And it goes back to those girls, I guess, the girls that I've worked with for the last year and a yeah. bit now have become, they've become a part of me because again, I was only went to work with them for a short period of yeah. time. It extended to a year, but they've developed and given me the ability to be able to speak for them mm. and with them. Mm. They've kind of said to me, you are going to open the door and we're going to walk through. Mm. And I am so glad that I've had the opportunity to be able to effectively grow with milk and honey because it started in 2016, 2020, we are here. We are explicitly black. Mm. <laughs> um, and it's not just about the girls anymore. It's about them and society. Yeah. And the system. Effectively. Yeah. That's our next question. <laughs> you, you are, did you read my questions? Girls? No. You don't hate radio shows? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but one thing though that I wanted to go before we speak about um, system changes because that again is so necessary. I wanted to touch on when we had a conversation about the girls that you work with and um, how you work with them. He said one thing to me. He said, "I you, I don't want you to refer to these girls as victims." Mm. And um, it goes back to how we are branded in society and stuff mm. like that. So for you, like, what's the importance of seeing these girls not as victims but are just girls? Mm. Yeah. And I had another question, but. So the reason why I don't talk about the girls as victims as it's very easy to sell girl stories. Mm. You know, what I'm doing is very unique for where we are as a society, yeah. black girls. So if I was to come out and be like, oh, you know, black girls who have been through X, Y, and Z, everybody would want to support. Yeah. But what is that kind of telling the girls? Now you must go through something traumatic for you to get supported basically that's and wrong that is wrong and that's where a lot of generic girl services you Stop. have to you have to have gone through something as a woman as a girl to access a service a service that's supposed to support you but it's like there's only a willingness to support when she's been through something yes and again i'm not saying that we don't need these services but we also need safe spaces that say whether you've been through this, that, this or that, or you just want to breathe, the door is open. And so, yes, I do work with girls that have gone through trauma. I work with girls who are very high achievers. Mm. Doesn't mean they haven't gone, with, gone through trauma, but they just want a space to be free because they know when they get home is straight books. Mm. So not kind of like saying we work with these kind of girls or that kind of girls, doesn't brand them as victim and it doesn't kind of say that you have to go from victim to strength, mm. but it's saying that whatever you've gone through, whatever your experience, we can process it with you in this space, mm. but you can also learn from others. And I think that's one of the powerful parts of Milk and Honey that Come on. I don't think we speak about enough, Come and on. I definitely need to 
do a greater job at speaking about, but it's the peer support that these girls offer each other. Yes. Because if you are 15 and you're sitting in a space with a 17 year old who's talking about certain things, let's say mental health, but you as a 15 year old don't have that language and you see your peer being able to speak about it and they may not be speaking about it in a way that's, you know, easy, but then there's somebody like me who also looks like you. It's like, small, medium, large, Mm. but then large also learns from medium Mm. and also learns from small. Mm. I'm literally creating a system where there's no hierarchy, Mm -hmm. where everybody learns from each other. And these girls are able to think about within the space, like, you know, so-and-so is going through this family problem. Mom's maybe annoying her. Oh, I've been through that. This is what helped me. No, this might not help you, but if you ever need someone to talk to, you can message me. Yeah. That's where it starts. Yeah. The development of sisterhood. Yeah. The re-embedding of the sisterhood that I feel like our generation had, but we also lost. Yeah. And the lack of admittance that we lost it is what is driving our generation to a different place mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can admit it. I lost my sisterhood at one point in my life. Yeah. And... It was, let's say, around that 2010 kind of era. Yeah. Yes, everybody knows what I'm talking about. It was around 2010. Then we had the riots, 2011, yeah, 12. Those three years, I would say, sisterhood started to eradicate. Mm. And it became a centralization of me yeah. and you. And we became more individuals. And I'm not disputing that. But the lack of unity that I feel like we had as a generation... We're only rebuilding it now. Mm-hmm. And it's so beautiful to, to see. see. Yeah. So beautiful. But what I'm saying with Milk and Honey is I don't want any more girls to go through that because mm. it's not easy. Yeah. It's not hard. It's 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 not that it's not hard. It is probably the hardest thing to do. Like there's girls that I grew up with that are doing absolutely amazing. But when I think about how we treated each other, it's difficult. Mm. I celebrate you. I will like, sometimes I even comment under their things and I'm not expecting it back. But that sense of, I can still support you even though we went through this. Mm -hmm. And I know that these girls are going to have to go through that. But now when I see these girls arguing, they're very, they go there. So their social media arguments, they go there. Mm. Like it's not come and meet me in the middle of Peckham, let's fight anymore. It's literally, let's create a whole Instagram page and tear her down. And I... I say this because I grew up in the era of fighting. Yeah. It's easier to get over some emotional damage around the fighting aspect or girls like wanting to physically hurt you than it is on social media. And as crazy as that sounds, this no, is the generation that we're in now. I agree. And that development of let's provide a sisterhood. Let's, let's get away from going through the negative to get to positive. But the main thing, vulnerability. Mm. You see, if black women are told that they have to be strong and we don't have spaces that Im- encourage vulnerability, yeah. we're just going to have strength. Yeah, 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 but Milk yeah. and Honey is saying to these girls, come and be strong. Cry if you want to cry. Scream, yeah. kick. Bring your strength that you already possess. But yeah. know that to be vulnerable is not to be weak. Yeah. And I remember one of, <laughs> one of my, my lovely girls, I said that to her once. And she said, no, nah, you're chatting shit. And I said, pardon? And she said, yeah, me, you're chatting shit. 
literally. And I said, okay, tell me. She's like, because when you're vulnerable, you cry, you're weak, you're this, you're that. And she was listening and she was going in. And I said, do you know what? I, I can't argue with you because it's true. Mm. I said, but think about it like this. If your crying is a sense of weakness, when you get angry and you cry because you stop yourself from physically going at someone, what is that? And she's like, oh, I never thought of that. Mm. I was like, yeah, sometimes you have to find the greatest of strengths in the weakness that Come you on. possess. And when we start to tell girls that it's okay to cry, it's okay to be angry, it's okay to be vulnerable, and this is for boys as well, even mothers that have sons, big sisters that have little brothers, instead of trying to over-emasculate your brothers or your sons, let's try and teach them about the feminine qualities that, that, they, possess. that they possess that are so important. But we can't teach them until we understand yeah. them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Where did they pick you up from? Oh, Where did they pick you up? The ghetto rat. <laughs> <up? laughs> so I went to prison. <laughs> no. <laughs> I ain't joking either. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wow. Yeah. Now you speak from, I know you speak from a place of like passion and from a place of where you, yeah, like you believe what mm. you say and what you're saying is so, so important. Thank you. So important. I wish I had this when I was 15. Me too. Honestly, I, I wish, wish I, had I this. really do. But at the same time, I always say, did we not already have it? Maybe not in the same kind of way. Yeah, Maybe not labeled as a creative expressive safe space. But come on, all those link ups at the bus stop, yeah. getting your hair done at lunchtime when you know you shouldn't be. <laughs> yes, all those eight hairstyles, one head, <laughs> crisscross here, snake style this no. way. All of those little things that we lost, they don't have. Hair appointment, you have to book online. <laughs> you bring the hair, bring the edge control, bring the weave, bring bring your head, bring bring the comb. This is it. Bring the blow dryer. <laughs> Even in fact, pay electricity on top. Wow. So, all suffering. those like spaces, you know, chocadero. If back in the, if you're going chocadero with your girls, yeah. <laughs> you have freedom. You're somebody. I'm telling you, all the pick and drop. You know, the different color. Maybe you get pick a drop with your friend. She does burgundy. You, you do, do blonde. <laughs> you do quiff. The matching tag names. Oh my the pics. So we had that. And it all left. It left. But they, when I look at this generation, of course they have memories and they have their thing. Yeah. But it's so different. And so I say to women all the time, let's not think about milk and honey as the be all and end all. No pun intended, bees. Ha -ha. <laughs> um, let's not look at like milk and honey, like the bee or an end or, and yes, it's maybe the space that we all wish we had, but I feel like we already had it. And milk and honey, in a sense, is an ode to yeah. every single woman that yeah. I know, that I don't know, that grew up in a generation where we were told that not only is our black girlhood not important, but our only role is to look after and serve our community. And that's literally how our generation mm. grew. And when we talk about, you know, there's a, we talk about violence, 
that this generation have possessed. But no one talks about the violence that we watched in 2007 mm. when children were getting shot in their houses. And we are the generation and the product of a generation that went through this, yeah. never got to heal from it, and now is navigating all the spaces that as women, as men, as just black people, we are navigating. And even though there's a creation of so many different spaces that give back to the community, including this wonderful studio that yeah. we're in, there's still an element of, we had the spaces already. Yeah, Maybe we just need to relive them. And I guess nostalgia is one thing, I don't know if you've noticed, it keeps me alive. Yeah. It keeps me very youthful. Yeah. I can't be working with young people and not think of my youth. I will get old very quickly. Yeah. I'm not trying to. Like I say, I'm not trying to disclose the age, but <laughs> it's almost 30, but yeah. far away from there. <laughs> um, but it keeps me youthful because it also supports not only my learning and growth with the young people that I support, but it makes me realize that we grew up in a time that was different to what we have now, mm. but we're still very similar. Because yeah. there were still people that believed in us Maybe they weren't like us that yeah. we overbelieve in the next generation. Who knows? But what we are changing is that emotional intelligence yeah. that we did not have. Yeah. We did not have that. And I guess all the spaces that are being created, Milk and Honey included, is supporting the mental health and the creative and the emotional intelligence yeah. of the next generation, which is black girls because yeah. they're about to lead and yeah. <laughs> they're literally taking over what we've created. I feel like our generation kind of We've had lessons that we needed to have. Mm -hmm. And I don't think a lot of people realize we've had lessons that we needed to have so that the generation after us might go through it, mm. but the pain and the scarring might not be as strong. And that's all we're working for. That literally it, is. Because if, if it's easier for them, think about our children. Yeah. If we give them and cultivate spaces that are easier for them to navigate now, when I say easier, I use that lightly yeah, because it doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. Of course. But they're going to feel uplifted yeah. to be able to develop and create for our children. Yeah. So I'm going to know that tomorrow my child is going to go to primary school or go here or go to their own version of yeah. Chocadero. And there's going to be a young girl who is now a woman that mm. might see my child mm. and be like, no, no, no. I know your mom. And yeah. then we're going to recreate what we had growing up where when your auntie would see you mm. <laughs> before you even get home. <laughs> you know that. Some and, <laughs> and that's literally like that feeling. And for me, when we talk about emotional intelligence, yeah. I feel like we also discredit our parents because even though it wasn't shown in the form of maybe I love you or give me a hug, look at where they're coming from, first of all. Oh, honestly. But also that element of, before you get home and someone's mom sees you, they've already told your mom. That's an emotional intelligence of care mm. that we don't give them credit mm. for. Mm. Also being nosy, but yeah. let's lead with the care. <laughs> let's lead with the care. Let's lead with the positive. Let's lead with the positive. <laughs> There's an element there of, because our parents cared so much about what other people thought, it came with that pressure of, we have to strive to yeah. be better. And they could have done it in a different way, but we are now doing it in a different way for this generation because we are bigger believers of what the black community will yeah. become, will become what it always has been, yeah. basically. So I can see you smiling, looking at me. No, do you know why it is? Because I can speak to you all day, but... <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so... No, the word... I've said this like four times, but it's... 
so necessary. And I think on the note that we were saying, mm. I've got two more questions. But yeah. the one, the first one is, um, we spoke about where this is going and mm. where you're taking. It. And I think there's an element of you've you've got this platform, but we spoke about it on the phone as well about infiltrating our systems and spaces mm. where it's that it's not just like you said in the beginning it's not just me listening to you mm-hmm. vent to me about what happened at school but i want to take your experience and get into systems and bring policies and bring change mm. so that the year seven that's coming after you yep. doesn't go through what yep. you go through so for you the importance of now taking milk and honey and what you've created into them spaces. What does that look like? And what is the importance of that as well for other people? Again, because I want this to kind of be educated mm. for other people that want to create other sp- safe spaces for other girls, boys, Anything. you know, disabled, abled people. Yeah. What does that look like to bring something like this to a system to actually give tangible change? Because we, I think... We need to go from the space of just talking mm-hmm. and advising mm. and commenting on Twitter and mm. saying that this is the problem mm. on Twitter. Mm. But where are you when policies are being are being implemented? Mm-hmm. Where are you when schools are having meetings and board meetings mm. and they're asking people that look like you to be part of that? Where are you then? So for you, what is the importance of that and what what is your goal in mm. in all of that? Oh, I think that question is a very, very, very important question. And I think it brings answers of, we always say that the system wasn't created for us. Yes. We know this. It wasn't created. It wasn't tailor-made. Serve and protect. When they say serve and protect, they're not saying serve and protect black people. Mm. We know this. We, as much as we are trying to create and doing a great job of creating our own spaces, the spaces that were already there, mm. the infiltration of how we can change those spaces is just as important as creating our own spaces. Yes. And so for me, without milk and honey, like put milk and honey to a side, yeah. just being able to advocate for young people in the justice, education and educate um, mental health system is a key factor to my work in yeah. terms of being able to work alongside the mayor in certain decisions, being able to attend certain meetings for the local council yeah. or local authority and being a voice of the community. I go into those meetings the way that I'm dressed here now. Yeah. Hoodie, jeans, <laughs> and some vans. There's no point in me really changing who I am to adapt to their space yeah. because that's not what that's I'm trying, what I'm to, trying do. to do. Exactly. What I'm trying to do is get those systems and spaces to understand me and my community for what we are, not yeah. what we look like, but for what and who we are. I think my biggest advice I would say to anyone that's creating safe spaces or just creating anything, and it doesn't just have to be for young people, adults are out there as well. They need as much support as young people do. I would say seek your local council members, get involved with the things in your environment that even though they weren't built for us, it's important. And pressure. If you put pressure on the right places, they Mm -hmm. will start to listen by force. Mm -hmm. And... I guess one of the things that I did is Mm. use my platforms to talk about the things that matter. Don't get me wrong. I love getting involved in a Twitter debate one or two, but I also follow and use my voice to the people that may not know about what is going on in my community. So when I am talking on Twitter, I am talking to my community on behalf of my community to people that don't already know. Yeah. And also 
being able to ad- acknowledge and sit with imposter syndrome, I think is something that's important. It's something that I go through. Everybody goes through it. But knowing that this imposter syndrome is going to cause a revolution. Mm. It's going to get someone to listen. And mm. you don't need, you don't need a hundred people to listen to you. If one person listens to you and understands no, you space. in the right space, you can go from there. But partnership working. Yeah. I did not get to where I am alone. We cannot be alone in this. I want to see more industries linking up to be able to advocate and tackle the issues that we are told that are above us. Mm. More school governors, please, women listening. And I hope you have some men that listen too. Um, School governors is very important. Education is at the heart of it all. And education will not change for our black children until we challenge the education that they are receiving, but also the damage that it's doing to their emotions. Um, And I think my last advice would be to listen to your community Mm. and don't don't take twitter for just what it is and i have to say that because a lot of people talk on twitter because it's a free platform and it's great it's amazing you get a lot of information cries laughs whatever but it's not the be all and end all yeah and remember that the people that you see talking on twitter you don't even know if they're even talking to their local counselor. Mm-hmm. You don't know what they're doing further than 140 characters. Yeah. So if everybody used 140 characters to develop things within their local environment, we would go a lot further. And I know people are going to be like, oh, but they won't listen. If I told you how many people didn't want to listen to me and they still don't want to listen, but guess what? I'm going to keep talking and I'm going to keep doing Um Get involved with different schemes. I think learning and education has been the biggest thing, tool for me Mm -hmm. to be able to do the work that I do, but also learning about different infrastructures and different kind of industries. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to do creative expression, I had to learn about the creative industry, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the positives, the cons, but also what those people in those industries go through. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm saying, I want young people to do creative expression and then maybe they look at a photographer and they're like, I want to get into photography. If I don't understand what that photographer goes through emotionally, mm-hmm. how am I going to ask that young person to then indulge into that, you know, into that industry? Yeah. So kind of learning about different industries and not being afraid to make mistakes. Yeah. This journey, I've made some mistakes. I'm not proud of them, but I've learned from them. Yeah. I have learned how to be a lot less, how will I put this now? a lot less scared and not let fear kind of override what I'm trying to do. Mm. Like we're all scared of something and everything. But if you lead with that fear, we're never going to create change. We're never going to be able to support ourselves. And so kind of just saying, do you know what? Oh, I'm just going to get up and I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Um, And I think I said lastly before, but (laughs) this is definitely the last one is, Aside from like your formal, just like education, working on yourself. Yeah. You can't tackle a system if you don't know who you are. I go into these systems and meetings and I'm the only person that looks like me or everybody's like, oh, there she go again. Ebenita's talking. I don't give a heck. (laughs) I'm going to talk. I'm telling you because (laughs) I have learned from my experiences and with the community that I represent, what I'm talking about. So even though you don't understand, 
I understand and the people that are lifting me up and supporting me right now are those that understand and tap into schemes like I should be in America right now doing my Winston Churchill Fellowship, which is a, <clears throat> no matter how much we feel about Churchill, yeah. but they give out like travel schemes for adults, young people and adults to go abroad to learn about whatever they want to learn about. Yeah, that's So it. look at different schemes that you can gain knowledge from all over the world. Like a lot of my research that I've done has come from the States and mm. the black women from the States that work with black girls. Yeah. But I wouldn't have known this if I didn't go the extra mile to look. Yeah. And if we don't look, we can't create. Yeah. And there's so many gaps with young people, with adults that need filling. Like, you know, we need, I, I don't know, black owned pottery class. I want to go. I want to go. <laughs> Take <laughs> me <know>? with you. <laughs> I want to go. Yeah. We need different you know, uh, uh, somebody out there, please, black girl football team, yeah. I will sponsor, I will invest. <laughs> I can't do it all. We yeah. need them. Like, if everybody created some sort of space, and it doesn't mean that you have to create something new, support something. something. Yeah, man. Um, and that is even an ode to black women, like, support a black girl today. Mm. That is my thing. And, it, you know, it might sound like one of those two-pound appeal adverts, but, hey, it is what it is. Yeah. Support a black girl today. Tell a black girl that the woman that she's going to be, she doesn't even know how much strength she possesses mm. yet. And if we all started to do that, I know that inner black girl inside of us will start feeling a lot better because a lot of us are still living in suppression mode and we don't want to admit it. And it's it's okay but if you don't want to admit it, don't be that black woman that spends a lot of time getting at black girls for what they're doing now. Be a black woman that doesn't judge them, but elevates them hmm. and tells them how how hard the world is going to be, but how hmm. beautiful the world can be as hmm. well. And this doesn't take anything away from black men or black boys because hmm. we love you and we appreciate you. But we also need to allow black men to be black men mm. and black boys to create those spaces. And I'm not saying that we can't support you in doing that, but we also need to put ourselves first. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. I <laughs> think this is over. I'm going to see you after this recording. I can't wait. <laughs> um, two questions, last questions. One, my last question is, um, I mean, one or two words or one sentence. Um, I work with, I, work, I, I do, um, I run my church kids service mm. and um, I was speaking to one of my friends and I said, it's so funny how much children can teach you a lot about yourself. Yeah. Um, with you, I know you spoke kind of in the beginning about working with these girls made you look at your girlhood mm. and having worked with one of your sp superstars <laughs> Um, who wrote for my platform, which she was really shouting at me. I said, girl. Um, <laughs> one thing, absolutely. But one thing I wanted to ask you is, what's one thing that the girls that you've worked with has taught you about yourself? Mm, there's so many things. I'll stick <laughs> for one. Um, Sorry. One thing the girls have taught me about myself is that if I'm going to push them, I can push myself. Mm. If I'm going to push them to exceed, I can also do it for myself. Yeah. Um, and I can not be afraid to feel supported while I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, because there's no point in trying to support everybody else if you're not going to allow anybody to support you. And 
they definitely definitely taught me that one mm. and i know when some of them listen they're gonna be like yep. yeah <laughs> so <laughs> <He> told you <laughs> literally that was that yeah that that's definitely one thing thank you and lastly um at the, at the end of it, I love women empowerment. I love women supporting women. I love what you're doing. But I wanted you to kind of pick up three females right now that you feel, think are doing amazing. That someone listening should just check, just quickly scroll and go and look at them. Oh, I'm going to shout out Sophie Arende because she is absolutely amazing. She's 18, blogger, podcaster, full-time mm-hmm. student part of the milk and honey family but she's absolutely amazing she's a young lady who is growing into a young woman who has so much selflessness she shouts a lot at women (laughs) because again it's about tapping into your girlhood so what she wrote for your platform it was like okay girl I (laughs) i said wow um so she is one um Oh, there's so many. I think another one I'm going to say is Bola Soul. I absolutely love Bola because not only does she talk about finance, it's more than that. It's about Mm. women creating and elevating their own financial journeys. Yeah. And I'm all about women owning their own selves, their own money, their own environments. And she just enables women to think about and learn about money differently. Yeah. And she's also, again, like every other woman, had her own journey. And she's very open with her losses and her gains. Mm. And I am going to say the last woman is Bonita, who is part of the Guap team. And the reason why Bonita is because she not only does she love mangoes and kill me with her amazing personality. Oh my <laughs> top she, tier, she, as in like, <laughs> God took time with her personality. She, so, you know, I'm not going to take that nap this <laughs> seventh day. I'm no. just going to work with you a little bit. But she is very supportive yeah. of all women. And she's also just created her new platform for Real. women. Mm-hmm. Um, FYSP. Yes. Yeah. And I just think it's important to shout her out because... For me, she's one of the first black women that started listening to me when I started talking about Mm. Milk and Honey. She is the person that opened a lot of doors for me to feel confident in speaking about my journey with girls and black girls. And she's someone who I think for me, personality-wise, apart from all the amazing things she does in the industry, personality-wise, around her, you can just feel safe. Mm. Like I felt with you, I think it mm. must be a guap thing. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have just got it all going on. But she just offers me the ability to be safe and free yeah. like, and have conversations like we've had today. So check out those three, Sophie, Bola, and Bonita. Okay, so basically, before you leave, I just want to say something to you because it's been on my heart. I absolutely, absolutely adore you. Oh. I feel like... honestly speaking there's some people that and i said i came into this year and i said to god i really want to uphold people that are facilitating other people's growth Mm -hmm. because in the time that we're living in it's so easy for you to create something selfishly and just for you and just for your accolades but to see you pouring into these girls to see you talking about them and your passion and your wisdom and everything that you actually are doing 
Sis, it's not easy, but <laughs> you're so you. required. You're so necessary. Thank you Like, so thank much. you for upholding our little sisters and they're going to go around and then speak to other girls and uplift them and stuff like that. So you've, you're creating a chain that is so necessary. Thank like, you. I really like you. You're now my friend. I'm going to take you and stuff. But no, honestly, thank you so much for sharing. No, thank you for having me. It was very comfortable, very much free, very... You know, I feel rejuvenated. Like, we sometimes don't even appreciate how these conversations yeah. with other black women kind of help us. Like, you know, we, we talked about so much. And I've, I just you've, wanna, I just <laughs> felt you. like a therapy. Like, I'm not joking. Like, everyone says this when This felt like a. I'm, oh, what? I'm going to go home and journal and I'm probably going <laughs> to cry and worship because I feel like I've never heard anyone talk about girlhood. I've mm. never ever and i think it's because i'm uncomfortable doing it mm. looked back at Loriana at 15 yeah because she is currently in a corner yeah and i i see her and i i know that that corner that she's in she's she's literally saying you put me here to survive but mm. i want to walk the rest of this journey mm. with you and if every black woman could pull that girl out of the corner, and believe me, Ebby is still in the corner. I'm mm. not here talking about girlhood like, yeah, I know my girl. And, you know, I, no, I'm no expert. It's a journey. Yeah. And some days I don't even want to see that part of my girlhood. I don't let alone my womanhood. Yeah. But I just think that what we've done here today is powerful. Like yeah. this is the first conversation where I'm not, as much as I'm in my professional element, I'm also in my personal element yeah. talking about girlhood and i i just want to commend you for a having me on but feeling comfortable to talk about girlhood with me it's unique it's my first time so i'm hoping that it can develop into me talking about it more yes because so. it's ne- your story is necessary and i always say you have this quote i say to everybody yeah but your your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurt and your stories mm, are yeah. needed for something so Sis, you need to hear your story. <laughs> Write a book. Do something. It's coming. It's coming one day. Yeah. You know. That Honestly, I I plan to, I plan to cause a disturbance. Tables, it's tables to shake. It's needed. And the man. revolution will be. It will be written, written, written televised, recorded. podcasted. Yeah, everything. <laughs> No, honestly, every single thing. But thank you so much thank for coming you. on. Um, everything, the DLs for Ebenita will be somewhere in the description, somewhere you guys can check her out. Please support black women, support black girls. Um, I've, I'm, I'm, I hope you guys have taken something from this because me, I might need therapy after this. Wow. Well. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. I hope thank you've enjoyed you. Um, I hope you've enjoyed speaking to me as thank well. Thank you for having me. No worries. And guys, thank you for listening. And we will check you out in the next episode. Bye. Bye. <laughs>